Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 48. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to those who had been chosen as, by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. Father, these are your words to us today. And we ask by your Spirit, you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what you have to say to us. Lord, we pray that in everything that we say and do, you would lift up the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Could you please be seated? <coughs> Well, history tells us that General Robert E. Lee, the commander of the armies of the Southern Confederation during the American Civil War, was a devout follower of Jesus Christ. It is said that soon after the war, he visited a church in Washington, D.C. And during, his, during the service, during communion, he knelt beside a black man as the Lord's Supper was being distributed. An onlooker said to him later, how could you do that? General Lee replied, my friend, all ground is level beneath the cross. The word of God tells us that's true. In Romans 3, we read, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, none of us, none of us 
he stands above any other. But while that's true, that's not how we behave. This all started at the beginning of the creation when humanity rejected God's stance over him. And this is true for all of us. We have prejudices and pretensions that somehow we are superior to other people in terms of physical appearance, color, nationality, intelligence, sex, social rank, skills, wealth. We are all afflicted by these kinds of prejudices and discriminations because we are fallen human beings who live in a fallen world. Prejudice is a disease of the mind that affects the heart. Prejudice is literally a preformed, preformed opinion, usually unfavorable, based on insufficient knowledge and irrational feelings and inaccurate stereotypes. We are all familiar with what's called racial prejudice. More accurately, it should be called ethnic prejudice because there's only one race, and that's the human race created by God. In his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi, as a young man, was sent to England from India to study law. And there he began to read the Bible, and he read the New Testament Gospels, which caused him to seriously consider converting to Christianity. He believed that the teachings of Jesus could find a solution for the caste system that was dividing the people of India. And so one Sunday, he decided to attend services by, at a nearby Anglican church to talk to the pastor about becoming a Christian. But that changed when he entered the sanctuary, when an usher refused to give him a seat and suggested he go worship with his own people. At that point, Gandhi realized that some Christians practiced the same kind of caste system that he was used to as a Hindu. Gandhi left the church and never returned. He said, if Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain Hindu. That usher's prejudice not only betrayed Jesus, but also turned a person away from the Savior. The 10th chapter of the book of Acts addresses the critical issue of prejudice in the church of Jesus Christ. And we know this is an important subject to God because it's dealt with at length in the book of Acts. Luke, the author of Acts, does this all the way through Acts chapter 10. He will do it in chapter 11, and he will go through it again in Acts 15. God repeats this because prejudice is not acceptable in the church of God. Amen? In last week's message, Pastor Eric led us through how God began to tackle this issue of ethnic and spiritual prejudice within the family of God. Because in biblical times, there were great distinctions between Jews and Christians. Excuse me, Jews and Gentiles. The Jews considered Gentiles as fuel for hell. And they were to be a people to be treated as slaves and thought to be outside the boundaries of God's mercy. In fact, a Jew was never supposed to help a Gentile woman when she's going through labor with a Bible, excuse me, with a baby. Why? 
because who wants another Gentile in the world? Jews were the chosen people, and they twisted that doctrine to fit their own prejudices. According to the Jews, salvation was only from the physical descendants of Abraham. So the Jews became extremely proud and developed traditions which kept them apart from the Gentiles. To them, any non-Jews were dogs, perpetually and permanently unclean people who could not eat kosher food or observe traditional ceremonies. But this was not God's intent. God chose Abraham for what reason? To be a blessing to all the families of the earth through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Genesis 12, we read that God said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and on him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Acts chapter 10, we see God preparing Peter. We see God preparing the people of Aerosmith Baptist Church how to fully obey the Great Commission by eliminating prejudice in our hearts. It was to Peter that God gave the keys to the kingdom. And it was through Peter's preaching of the gospel that the doors of the kingdom swung open to the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul spoke of this in Romans 1, verse 16, when he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The immediate context of our text for today is the first 33 verses of Acts 10, where we saw that God gave a Gentile centurion named Cornelius a vision to go to the apostle Peter to help Peter clarify the meaning of a vision that God had given Peter regarding nine non-Jews joining into the family of God. This was a radical turning point in the economy of God's salvation. For almost 2,000 years since Abraham, salvation had been from the Jews and through the Jews. And a Gentile had to become a Jewish proselyte in order to know and worship God in any way that could please him. And even though God had promised all the nations that would be blessed through Abraham's descendants up to this point, the blessing was pretty much with the Jews. But now a radical shift is happening, brothers and sisters. The door of salvation is being swung wide open, even to include us. In verse 43, Peter proclaims that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through Jesus' name. Now we need to know, or excuse me, we need to remind ourselves when we see the word believe in the Bible, that word is much more than just to accept something as true or to be convinced of something or to put your trust in something. The original Greek word is pistuo, which literally means to have a faith with respect to a person or a thing that is by implication to sacrificially entrust 
and totally commit oneself to that person or thing. Jesus would define it this way. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Peter proclaimed to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Jesus is an equal opportunity savior. Amen? In our text for this morning, the word of God tells us why everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will receive God's salvation. First of all, everyone believes in Jesus Christ will receive God's salvation because salvation is not based on who we are or what we do. The first two verses, 34 and 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, the first part of the statement is easy to understand. The second, not so easy. By the first part, that God shows no partiality, that means God does not show favor to anyone based on their nationality. But that was not always the case. That God was not partial was taught in the Old Testament, but it was heard and lived in within the Jewish context. In that context, they showed favor. Moses, though, pointed out that God had chosen the Jews above all people. In that context, he's used God's impartiality to encourage Israel not to accept bribes, to have equal justice with everyone, and to treat aliens by loving them and treating their basic needs. But in the Old Testament had clearly for 2,000 years had favoritism over all people. But now God's going to do a new thing. Through his vision of the sheet being let down from heaven and the, the events that uh, happened after that, Peter came to this radical conclusion that God is not partial to anyone based on ethnicity or nationality. Now God would bring Gentiles directly into a relationship with him without becoming a Jew. The insight from that would change history. Because of this, we are here today. This application for us is that people from every racial and national background are on equal footing when it comes to receiving the gospel. They don't have to be like us. See the application? They don't have to be like us. They can still keep their cultural traditions that do not violate scripture. They can sing songs that fit their culture, even if they don't sound like our hymns. They can dress in the ways they want to, if they do so modestly. But they don't have to be Christians like us. The second part of Peter's statement is more difficult in the words when he says, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, at first glance, that seems to negate the first part where it says God shows no partiality. It sounds like God is partial to those who fear him, partial to those who do right. 
And it seems to imply God accepts, accepts people on the basis of their character or their good works, which goes against what we believe that salvation is by grace alone. So we need to kind of interpret this in, in the whole chapter again, remembering that Cornelius was a God-fearing man who did many things, many good things. And in his introduction, Peter seems to acknowledge this. But we need to understand, while Cornelius was a good man, his goodness could not save him. Peter came to explain the way to salvation to him because he wasn't saved. He needed to receive forgiveness for his sins. The whole point of this whole narrative is, is how Cornelius ultimately comes to faith. Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So what's happening here is God is at work. Cornelius had not yet crossed the line of salvation, but his, his fear and his, his good deeds show that he was being drawn by God, to God, toward that point. And then after this sermon, he comes to faith. You see, God works differently with different people. Amen? He saves some people right out of the cesspool of sin, like a lightning bolt, just like that. They're, they're wallowing in it. They're not seeking God. God dramatically enters their lives and rescues them. And at that moment, they turn to Christ. But others like Cornelius, God puts a hunger in their hearts to, to know God and to be with God, even though they don't know that, even what the atheist was talking about up here. They begin to, to seek him and, and they try to clean up their lives, but ultimately they're still sinners at that point. They, they're not saved, but they, they will be when the gospel is presented to them. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will be saved because salvation is not based on who we are or what we do. Paul says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for works, good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Secondly, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will receive God's salvation when the gospel is centered on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We'll go through uh, verses 36 through 43 again. And as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the, with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. 
To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter's sermon here begins with God taking the initiative to send the gospel into the world. He sent the word of God to the, to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ way before anybody even knew Jesus. The truth is, we may come up with various ways to approach and appease God, but they all fall short. Only God can initiate the way to peace by sending his son on earth to die for our sins. Amen? And the fact that Jesus preached priests implies there is hostility and alienation between sinful men and a holy God. Now many people, many Christians, are oblivious to this hostility. They don't understand God's absolute holiness and his hatred of sin. And while they will admit that they're not perfect, they see themselves as basically good and then conclude that God will let them come to heaven because they're not like wicked people. But the Bible plainly declares that we all have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. James 2.10 tells us if we break one commandment, we break them all. Those who think that they are righteous enough to enter God's holy presence are guilty of, a, of the pride of the worst sort. There is hostility between us and God, even if we don't realize it. Jesus Christ is the only means of peace there. Also notice that Peter states plainly that Jesus is Lord of all, meaning not only Lord of the Jews, but Lord of the Gentiles. This emphasizes Jesus' deity, since he is the Lord God, but he is also his absolute authority. And this ties up in the, with what he says at the end of the sermon in that God has appointed the risen Jesus Christ to be the judge of the living and the dead. And everyone who has ever lived will stand trial before God for every act, every thought, every intent of the heart. The risen Jesus Christ is the one who is appointed to be the judge of everybody who's ever lived on earth. Peter emphasizes how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with the power of God. He went about going, doing good, he said, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, and God was with him. The word Christ itself means the anointed one, and this is what Peter is sharing in this message. In his humanity, Jesus showed us how we should live as human beings in desperate dependence upon God, doing good to others, overcoming sin and evil in the world. This also shows the cosmic battle that rages on even at this very moment in this room. Spiritual warfare is at work. Jesus is the only one that can win that battle. To preach the gospel, brothers and sisters, is to engage in combat with the evil enemy. Jesus' death on the cross was that means of peace. Jesus paid the debt that we deserve. God took our sin and laid it on Jesus who had no sin of his own. And because he is God, his death has infinite value because he's also a man. His death is perfect and a substitute for us. 
But had Jesus died and remained in the grave, his death would have been insufficient. God raised him up on the third day. And his resurrection was seen by many. Peter mentions that they ate and drank with him to underscore the reality that Jesus' resurrection was not just spiritual, it was physical too. And Peter concludes with the good news that all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins in his name. And the name of Jesus refers to all that Jesus is and all that Jesus did and all that Jesus is doing and all that he will do for his glory and our good. And even though Cornelius was a good man, he still needed to hear about the name of Jesus and put his trust in him. In Acts 4.12, Peter proclaimed, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This means there is no salvation for good Christians apart from believing in Jesus Christ. When people say they're a good Christian, that doesn't mean they're saved. Just any more like a good Buddhist or a good Hindu. To believe in Jesus means surrender. To believe in Jesus means that we believe that he is the Lord who gave himself on the cross for us. This, this believing, believing is believing in the promise of God for eternal life as a gift based not on our merit as we humbly no longer rely on anything to commend ourselves to God. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that what we are to proclaim in who all that Jesus is. In the midst of all these things, when we talk about Jesus, it's easy to get distracted and talk about evolution or theology or some moral or social issue. Whenever we're talking about Jesus, brothers and sisters, get that conversation back to Jesus when it begins to drift. Whatever the issue is, Jesus should be the focus of it. And again, when we share the gospel with people, we must never leave out the lordship of Jesus in the solemn fact of the coming judgment. Peter lets his audience know that Jesus is the Lord, but they will also have to face him as judge. And unless people realize that they are in rebellion against God, against the God of the universe, they will never see themselves as guilty. And then they have no reason to repent, no reason to go to the cross. If we skim over the bad news in an attempt to not offend someone, they might try Jesus and see if he makes him happier. And if they don't get happy, they will find something else. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will stand before the judge, but also given a pardon. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Thirdly, 
Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will receive God's salvation because salvation results in obvious evidence in those who receive it. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was being poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing him speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. In the midst of Peter preaching this sermon, God once again takes the initiative of destroying prejudice in the church by pouring out the Holy Spirit upon all those who were listening to the message. God did this because he wanted to show Peter that he doesn't discriminate, and so Peter shouldn't either. Our God is the God of the world who saves Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, men and women without regard of appearance, sex, birth, nationality, or position in life. And what happened here was a Gentile Pentecost, which signified the seal of God on us, even before we were born. God gave these Gentiles who believed his personal affirmation. To everyone who repents and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, God will pour out their Holy Spirit. What's interesting here, take note of the Jewish Christians that were there with Peter. They were astonished, it said, when it happened. The word amazed here, literally in the Greek, is to stand out of their bodies. Like they, <laughs> it's like they jumped out of their bodies. These Jews had been so full of prejudice that they could not believe that God would pour out the Holy Spirit. You could see why they would jump out of their skin. But God did. He did baptize the Holy Spirit in the Gentiles. And God destroyed in that moment their human prejudices by pouring out the Spirit on them. Because God does not make distinctions. What that means for us is this. Whomever God accepts, we must accept. Whoever God accepts, we must accept. In Acts 11, next week, we see that as a result of Cornelius' salvation, the Pharisaic believers, the former Pharisees who were believers, in Jerusalem brought a case against the Apostle Peter for baptizing these believers. They brought him to trial and accused him of going into a Gentile's home and eating and fellowship with, with uh, dogs. What was Peter's response? Well, you'll see Acts chapter 11, verse 17. Here's what Peter said. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? Who was I to stand in God's way? If we don't accept people that God accepts, we are standing in God's way. We see this in church when we don't accept people 
who God accepts, we are opposing God. Forced by the, the Spirit of the living God, Peter ordered that these believers be baptized. And Cornelius and his family and his friends were baptized and became members of the church in Caesarea. Because everyone who believes in Jesus will receive salvation when there's obvious evidence in those who receive it. The ultimate test, what we're hearing here, is whether or not our salvation is real is how we live together as a people of God in the body of Christ, the church. Born-again followers of Jesus Christ should have given no evidence of any kind of prejudice any time. But the truth is, because we still have residual sin in our lives, we will fight prejudices in the church and in our own hearts. We usually try to dodge the issue of prejudice by redefining it as a preference or a difference. But that dodge disappears when we know Jesus would define the phrase, whomever God accepts, we must accept, to be whomever God loves, we must love. Same thing. Jesus calls us to love God and to love our families, and to, to love our neighbors, to love one another, to love the lost, to love our enemies. Nobody's left. Are we to love everyone? Yes. What does that love and acceptance look like in the church? In Acts chapter 2, we read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In 1997, I met a man who was a violent convicted murderer serving a life sentence without parole. He was also a high priest in the Wiccan Church of Satan. The man's name was Wayne Woods, and he attended a two-day seminar I was leading in a maximum security prison in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Wayne attended the seminar for the sole purpose of disrupting our time together. But he was strangely quiet as I led the group through uh, an evening of worship, teaching, preaching, small group prayer. Wayne showed up the next morning, and I'll read his words from there. The next day I returned and spoke to Pastor Lee at length about who I was. He listened to me and showed me understanding, but was truthful about what I needed to do to let go of my past and surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Pastor Lee came to the prison every month and always listened to me and loved me and prayed for me. After eight months, he came for another two-day seminar. And on the first evening, 
he spoke again of God's love and God's grace and God's forgiveness. And, and that night in my cell, my heart screamed out to God for help. The next morning I told Pastor Lee I was ready. And so he took me aside and he prayed for me and he prayed with me. And I asked Jesus to forgive me of all my sins and on October 17th, 1998, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was finally free. On that day, God reached down and lifted me up and changed me and took hold of my life. Jesus Christ is an equal opportunity Savior. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will receive God's salvation because salvation is not based on who we are or what we do. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will receive God's salvation when the gospel is centered on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will receive salvation because salvation results in obvious evidence in those who receive it. In John 15, Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Praise God that salvation is for everyone who believes. Amen? Amen. Father, we bless you today for the gospel. We bless you today for all the different ways that you have called us to yourself, how you've saved us where we are in these days. Knowing, Lord, it uh, seems like the world around us is, is falling apart. But with you, Lord, um, we can have perfect peace in the midst of it all. So help us, Lord, as a people of God to not be prejudiced between each other or between anyone that we don't even know. Help us, Lord, to see every person as a child of God or a potential child of God. Help us, Lord, to look at people not so much as losers, but that they are lost. So, Lord, we give you our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be your light, your hand of grace, your instrument of love in this corner of the world. And we bless you, Lord, for what we have ultimately in front of us. In the day when we are judged, you will take our hand and lead us home. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank <laughs> you.